Okay, good morning, church. I'm excited to be able to open up God's word with you. We're going to be in Deuteronomy chapter 6. Yes, at this point, um, <laughs> I would like to officially dismiss the kids <laughs> to go to the kids' service. Oh my goodness, I'm already messing up, Reynolds. I'm so sorry you made a mistake. <sighs> Kiddos, have a good time. <laughs> We're going to be in Deuteronomy chapter 6 this morning. I'm looking at a passage uh, that is a very famous passage. It's Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9. We'll go into that here in just a moment. Um, I want to kind of give you an idea of what we've looked at this weekend at the D now, the emphasis. So we've talked a little bit about being grounded and this idea, talking to our students about, and being grounded in our faith, we really hit on these two kind of lightning rods. We had this analogy. And these two lightning rods that we thrust into the ground, and we want to see God move in power. We want to have a faith that's unshaking. We want to have a faith that is working in the power of the Lord and not in our own power. So how do we do that? And these two lightning rods we looked at, the first one that Reynolds hit on a little bit there was prayer. And the idea that God has already called and equipped us to do something. And when we don't see that happen, what is the reason for that? And it's because in those moments, we have that belief, but we are acting in unbelief. And we looked at how the unbelieving world will do a lot of the things that Christians do. I know people who don't believe who read the Bible and people who don't believe who attend church services. And they act very similar to us sometimes, but something we hit on that unbelievers don't do, they don't pray for God to move in power in their life. And they don't live in expectation of that. So we looked at prayer, we broke that down and looked in Ephesians, how Paul prays for them to be filled with power through the Spirit and to be strengthened for a purpose. And what was the purpose? The purpose is to comprehend and to know the love of Christ that surpasses all understanding, to be filled with this fullness. So then the third session last night, we looked at how this filling happens when we study God's word and we treat it with carefulness rather than carelessness. So the first two sessions, we looked at prayer. These last two sessions, this will wrap up the weekend. This is session four. We're going to finish honing in on God's word. And what I'd like to do is for us to look in Deuteronomy chapter six to look at a command given to Israel. This should be fairly familiar with us. In the New Testament, Jesus echoes this command a couple of times. In Mark chapter 12, you see this where he's asked what the most important command is. And Jesus says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. So we see that this is where he is quoting from whenever he quotes that. And there's another command that he mentions, but we're going to look at this first one today. So follow along with me as we read this passage. We'll pray, ask the Lord for guidance, and dive in. Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9. Here's what it says. Hear, O Israel... The Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes." You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Pray with me, please. 
Father, we are coming before you right now through your son, Jesus Christ, who has provided us access. God, we are studying your word. We desire to carefully treat your word with reverence and respect. And God, we want to hear. We want to hear from you this morning. We want to be transformed by your goodness by your power, we want to be strengthened to understand, Father, the height and depth and breadth of the love of Christ for us. God, we want to reflect that and mirror that in our lives, and so we are coming to you at your word, asking for you to do these things in power, knowing that you will accomplish your purposes. We love you. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. So this passage here um, is known as the Shema, which is basically the Hebrew for hear. And it comes from this hear, O Israel. This is a prayer that a lot of traditional Jewish services, every time that they meet for their service, twice a day usually, they will recite this along with a couple of other passages. If you're taking notes and you want to jot these down to look at later, the three, there's kind of a general prayer that they will pray. And it's composed of three different passages of scripture. The first one here we're studying is Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9. The other two passages, if you look in Deuteronomy 11, verses 13 through 21, you'll see um, a little bit of this repeating, and it's kind of encouraging the same idea. And then in Numbers 15, 37 through 41, you'll see kind of the final portion of this prayer. So Jews, whenever they meet for their services, will regularly pray the Shema. And it became a very major part of their lives for a reason. If you look, um, we're going to look at some context here real quick. So Deuteronomy 6 is where we're at. Back up just a few verses. Look in chapter 5 at verse 33. And here's what it says. This is the very end here. It says, You shall walk in all the way that the Lord your God has commanded you, that you may live and it may go well with you, and that you may live long in the land that you shall possess. So God is sending Israel towards the promised land, and he's commanding them to live in a certain way. God wants his presence to be made known in Canaan. There's ungodly people groups there. God is sending Israel in, and he's kind of accomplishing two things here. He is securing a place for Israel that he's promised to them, but he's also judging the inhabitants of the land. And he desires for Israel to be a symbol of his presence and his image in the world. It's kind of a process of restoring God's image that was messed up at the fall. So this would be a major part of their lives. They understand and they receive this promise, if you are careful to do everything that I've commanded you, I will be with you, I will fight for you, I will deliver you, I will not let harm befall you. But Israel is constantly turning away from this. And we see this all through the Old Testament on into the prophets where they keep turning away from the Lord. So this is a major part of their lives, this giving of the law, and this is how Moses kind of begins this in Deuteronomy. If you look in chapter 5, Moses is kind of summarizing to Israel what's happened up to the current point. And he gives them the Ten Commandments. And then right here at the end of chapter 5, as he's going into chapter 6, this is where he starts to give them the full force of the law. All of Israel was present for the giving of the Ten Commandments, and then Moses receives all of this law, and it goes on for about 25 chapters in Deuteronomy, ends around chapter 30. And so Moses is relaying this to the people, and he says in chapter 6, verse 1, now this is the commandment. 
the statutes and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you that you may do them in the land to which you were going over to possess it, that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's son by keeping all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you all the days of your life, that your days may be long. So this is basically the introduction. We are kicking it off fresh in verse four, and here's what it says. Look at verses 4 and 5 with me. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. So right off the bat, we see something crucial here. What God's people do flows out of who God is. Look at this passage with me. Hear, O Israel... And then there's this statement, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. So, kind of implied, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. There's kind of a sandwich here. If you look at this word, hear, O Israel, the idea is more than just sounds entering into your ear and you register that in your brain. That's more than what's going on here. If you um, were to look back, I'm going to read um, Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse 43 real quick. The same word appears here, but it's translated differently into the English. It says, um, I'm going to back up to verse 42 actually and read this. This is Moses talking. Moses says, The Lord said to me, Say to them, the Israelites, Do not go up or fight, for I am not in your midst, lest you be defeated before your enemies. So, verse 43, I spoke to you and you would not listen. So notice here, Moses has spoken to them and they heard, but they haven't really heard. We hear Jesus kind of echo the same sentiment. There are some who hear, but they don't really hear. The idea behind this word here, you would not listen. Another way that we can translate that to kind of get the full force is you did not listen and obey. So backing up to our passage here, when it says, Hear, O Israel, it's more than just an attention grabber. It's more than a call for attention. It's a call for obedience. Israel, hear this and do it. And before he tells them what to do, he starts with this phrase, The Lord our God, the Lord is one. So this is the God. There are no other gods. There's not a multiple grouping of gods. And sometimes this one gets to make the rules. And sometimes this one gets to make the rules. There's one divine lawgiver. He shares his glory in Isaiah 42. It says that he shares his glory with no other. This is the God who established creation, who made us, and who has determined the limits of the waters And he has determined the limits of what we ought to do. So Israel, hear this and obey it because this is the God. He is God alone. There is one God and the standard comes from him. And so out of that flows verse 5. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. Whenever it says you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, this isn't meant to be some emotional plea to the Israelites. This isn't God begging the Israelites, would you please just love me? Would you please, I I just need to feel that in my heart that you love me. There is certainly an emotional aspect to this, but God is perfect in himself. He doesn't need anything 
to be complete. He is complete. But he does tell Israel, he gives this command, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all of your might. Whenever it says heart here, this would be equivalent to us almost saying um, with all of our mind. We kind of view the mind as the center of our reasoning today. If you were to associate that, that's kind of how the Israelites viewed heart. Sometimes the word translated heart here is also translated mind in scripture. So it's the idea that your heart is the center of who you are. It's the seat of your will where you decide what you want to do. So God is saying you need to love God with everything that you are and have. The entire direction of your life needs to be centered at loving the Lord your God. That's the idea here. And to love, though it is emotional, there is a commitment aspect to it. Love is not just a feeling that we feel, it's an emotional pull that, oh, okay, I love, and eh, sometimes I don't love. The best example that God has given us is in marriage. Whenever we marry someone, I've married a beautiful lady back there, her name is Stacy. She hates when I point her out, but I love doing it anyway. Love my wife. I made a commitment to her when we got married, and I love her so much. And marriage is always perfect, and no one ever gets in fights or arguments or anything, and it's always butterflies and rainbows. Not true. I have loved my wife since the day that we met, even in those moments when I feel frustrated or I feel at odds, I am still loving my wife through my commitment to her. And it's the same thing here with love the Lord your God. You know, you don't, I don't fall out of love with my wife because love is not a feeling. It's a commitment. So when I've committed to love my wife, that is a permanent thing. And God has designed marriage to reflect what he desires in our relationship with him. So he asks, he commands Israel, love the Lord your God. And what he means is to love God with all your heart is to commit to the Lord with your entire being. So here's the pattern. Hey, Israel, obey. Here's who God is. Knowing that, you need to obey. What Israel's commanded to do flows out of who God is. And it's the same thing for us. And this is one of the things we've been hitting on this weekend with the students, is this idea that we pray Jesus has equipped us to do what he's already called us to do. Well, then why don't we see that happen in our lives? It's because we are prayerless sometimes. And so we pray to God the Father in this prayer in Ephesians saying, I want to be filled with the fullness of Christ. So God, would you strengthen me to be able to understand how big and wide and great the love of Christ is so that I can know that love. That is how we are strengthened in our walk. Notice the same pattern. Who we are and what we do comes and flows out of who God is. The more we understand God, the more able we are to walk in obedience to him. So we see God through his word and we are conformed to that image. So I don't think it's a coincidence that right after this command, the next several verses here, follow along with me in verse 6 through 9, we're going to see right after this, who we are and what we do flows out of who God is. And these verses here talk about God's word and his commands. Look at verses six through nine with me. These words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. 
You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. So what God's people do flows out of who God is, and Scripture is the best, most reliable source of information we have about that. There's a lot of people who try to use their reasoning to try to deduce, well, okay, and philosophy, okay, well, if, this, if there is a God, it makes sense to me that he would be like this. And we're using kind of our ability to reason as the foundation for our knowledge of who God is. That is not always reliable. Sometimes it is God has given us an intellect and the ability to think and comprehend, but if we don't have special revelation of God's word, we are not able to know God like we ought to. There are some things that are obvious when we look at creation, but not everything we need is. This is what God has given us to equip us, that we may be fully complete, able to do what God has commanded us to do. So it makes sense if this is the source we have to know who God is. And what we do flows out of who God is. It makes sense that we ought to saturate our lives with the words in this book saturate our lives with the words of this book. Look at the way that it's described in this passage. You can look through these verses as I list these off. They're to put it inside of them, to teach it diligently to their children. You talk about it at home. You talk about it away from home when you're walking along the way. You talk about it at night. You talk about it during the day. In the morning when you wake up, you clothe yourself with it. You immerse yourself. You bathe your house in it. You write it on your doorposts, on your gates. For Israel to act like God's people, they would have to saturate themselves with God's precepts. God wanted it everywhere. Last night, we talked about how we ought to be careful with God's word and not careless with the students. Out of 1 Kings 13, there's a man of God who is careless with God's word. And this goes with being careful with God's word. We are careful with God's word and it helps us to be careful when we immerse ourselves in it. And we're able to recall the things that we've read during the day. We're able to call those things to mind. So something interesting about this command that it's important to recognize is this command is a corporate command. If you back up a little bit, we read it earlier. You shall teach it to your sons, your sons' sons. Even in this passage here in uh, verse 7, you shall teach them diligently to your children So this isn't just a personal, hey, you take care of your spiritual life and then that's it. And then you take care of your spiritual life and then that's it. The idea is all of you together work towards this goal. This is the command to Israel. And more specifically, it's a call to families. Not just churches, families. Families, teach the scriptures diligently to your children. This weekend, we have tried to give your students everything that they need to live a powerful life in the Lord Jesus Christ. Focusing on prayer and God's word, and you play a vital role in that. God has given us a tremendous responsibility. I kind of get frightened when I think about our children. Kristen now is... She was six uh, almost two years ago. I remember she turned six, and in my mind, I'm thinking I'm one-third of the way until she is 18. That's 33% done. Have I done 33% of the work I need to do to prepare her to be out of the house? And it frightened me. 
I don't know if I have. And now, it seems like just the other day, now she's eight. Almost. Close enough. Yeah, we'll we'll stick with seven. Um, My my wife is back there correcting me. (laughs) A couple months. Have I done what I ought to do? Have I taught God's commands diligently to my children? This is a call to us as families. Look at verse 7. I like this word, you shall teach them diligently to your children. We've been pouring into the students this weekend the importance of treating God's word carefully, seriously, in prayer. Our students need to be diligent in their walk with the Lord. And likewise, we need to be diligent in their lives as well, not just our lives. We need to be diligent in one another. I was walking by one of these back hallways and I saw one of the equipping classes was going on. And I see people sitting with Bibles open on the tables and they're listening to someone and they're looking in the scriptures. It's odd how complete that feels when we take part in that. We just know instinctively this is right. It's right for us to gather and to sharpen one another and to be diligent in our study. One day our students are going to be held accountable to God for their own sin and their acceptance of or rejection of the gospel. They will be held accountable for that. But this does not excuse us in taking responsibility for pouring God's word into their lives. And God recognized for Israel, if they are not saturated in my word, they're going to fall away. And guess what would end up happening? Israel would continue to fall away. I'm going to turn to Judges chapter 2. Actually, if you don't mind turning with me to this passage, I want to show you something really interesting that happened. Judges chapter 2 will be in verse 6. I'm going to look down through verse 11. So Israel has moved into the land at this point. Joshua has been a key figure in that. And in verse 6... Verse 6 through 11, I'm actually just going to read this. Here's what it says. When Joshua dismissed the people, the people of Israel went each to his inheritance to take possession of the land. And the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great work that the Lord had done for Israel. And Joshua, the son of Nun, The servant of the Lord died at the age of 110 years. And they buried him within the boundaries of his inheritance in Timnath-Herez in the hill country of Ephraim, north of the mountain of Gaash. And all that generation also were gathered to their fathers. Pay very close attention to these words. And there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. Verse 11, and the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. This generation did not know the Lord is what it says. And what was the result of that? Their lack of knowledge of the Lord leads to a lack of knowledge in how to live for him. And they turned away from God, the God that shares his glory with no one else. And they looked at other things and said, look how glorious this is. 
And it doesn't say here specifically, you don't see that. I wasn't there for all of these families. I'm not saying that every family failed to keep the the instructions of the Shema. But you can't help but see and ask the question, why did the next generation not know? Why was that not passed down? Where was the disconnect in that? Israel was not able to keep these commands. They moved into the land, they settled it, and once that generation died, the next generation arose, and then we have the book of Judges. It's a very sad story for Israel, but there is really good news here. There is really good news. Israel would keep falling short, and this is kind of one of the themes we've been hitting on this weekend. They did not have an ability to do the things that they were asked to do. They could not do that in their own power, and there's a reason why. Um, Right before the Shema that we looked at in uh, Deuteronomy 5.29, I'm going to read this verse. This is God speaking of Israel, and he says, Oh, that they had such a heart as this always, to fear me and to keep all my commandments, that it might go well with them and with their descendants forever. God is saying, oh, if only they were able to have this heart all the time to do this. But their hearts were often hardened. And it's because in the book of Ezekiel, it describes the heart as being a heart of stone. Actually, let's turn there, if you don't mind. Turn to the book of Ezekiel. We're going to look in chapter 36. This is a prophecy pointing forward to the new covenant that we have in Christ. God said in Deuteronomy, oh, that they had such a heart that they would be able to do this at all times. They literally could not. We see in Romans that we are unable, it says that no one seeks God. There is none who are righteous. There is no fear of God before their eyes. In our own power, we cannot love God the way that God commands us to. We cannot Jesus is the one who supplies to us the power we need to love and to obey God. He fulfills what we're about to read right here in Ezekiel 36. Look with me at verses 26 through 28 in Ezekiel 36. Verse 26 says this, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh And give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. You shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers and you shall be my people and I will be your God. This is what Christ has done for us. Jesus said when he was leaving the disciples, I'm not going to leave you here alone. I'm going to send the helper to you. And he will bring to your mind remembrance of these things that I have taught you. In our own power, we cannot love God. But Jesus came in our place and lived that life of genuine love for the Lord in our place. Bearing the penalty of our sin in our place to make us into a new creation. And once he saves us, we now have everything we need to follow this command. We are actually able from the heart to love God. And that's why students and families, that's why we pray desperately in our lives if we want to be grounded in our faith. God, 
I want to be filled with your fullness. I want to comprehend your goodness and the love of Christ more and more every time I open your word. Christ has made a way for us to do that. And as we saturate our lives with God's word, hopefully in your personal times, but also in your times as a family. Is this one thing that your family focuses on? We want to saturate ourselves with God's word. Jesus has made a way for us to love God and to reflect God. So here's the call for all of us this morning. Through Jesus' power, we can know God and we can live for God. And there's some people that desire to live for God, but they don't know God because they don't know Jesus. This is a call for you to know Jesus. He can be known. Many of us in here, we know Jesus. But maybe we are not relying on Jesus' power to live for Jesus. We're relying on our own power and strength. Here's the call to you this morning. Fall on your knees in prayer daily. Say, God, would you fill me with your fullness? I know that Christ has made a way. Would you fill me with your fullness so that I can live for you? Church, may we trust in Jesus. Rely on him to empower us to do what God has already called us to do to love him, and to seek him for all of our days. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for your word. God, it is so good. God, it is sweeter than honey. It is more desirable than gold, even much fine gold, Father. We know that your word does not return void. We know that we need you to be able to do what you have called us to do in your word that you have made a way for our hearts to be made new, that you have given us a heart of flesh so that we are able to keep your commands and statutes, so that we are able to love you like we ought to, Father. Would you saturate our lives with your word? Would you draw us to our knees in prayer daily, begging for you to do a work in us through the power of Christ? Would you ground us in our faith so that the world sees us and they see your image in us and they are drawn to you through us because of your glory radiating from what your word has done in us through the power of Jesus and the Holy Spirit. Father, we love you. Work in our hearts today. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. Would you stand with us?